my dad would reward us for big ideas the way that most parents would reward their kids for hitting a home run in baseball. We were taught to think that way. We were taught marketing. You're listening to Bond Halbert, son and original protege of the legendary copywriter Gary Halbert. While strong copy is crucial to making big sales, even more important is the big idea behind it. And you're about to hear how to generate truly big ideas today because Bond is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing master copywriter and direct marketing consultant, Bond Helbert. And if the name sounds familiar, yes, Bond is the son of the late, great, Gary Halbert, who many call the greatest copywriter of all time. And today you're in for a treat as we're going to dive into one of Bond's specialties, the big idea. And we're going to dive right into that right now. So Bond, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, so you clearly have a different upbringing than probably 99.9% of copywriters in the world. Now, I, I entered copywriting because I found an interesting book that talked about copywriting. So I'm going to look into this field and I went out and got training and eventually became a copywriter. And now I teach copywriting, but you teach copywriting because you've learned directly at the knees of the master himself. How did, how did that, you know, how did that affect your childhood? I mean, we, we talked about this before in another call, but not on the podcast before. So I'd love you to kind of share with our audience, go a little bit about the background, how, you know, you raised with Gary. What was that like? Well, my dad, you know, there's lots of ways to get really good at something. And one of the reasons my dad was great at that is because he was fully immersed. I mean, he was terrible at doing basic, regular life stuff. I mean, he destroyed a car by not putting oil in it ever. You know, I mean, he couldn't do a lot of basic stuff, but he, it was like his brain was 99% focused on becoming a copywriter and persuasion and sales, actually. And so he was kind of obsessed with that. So when I was very little, I mean, like, you know, I know it was before the age of six because I, I can mark where my memories are basically like where we lived. You know, we were stuffing and stamping and sealing envelopes for test mailings and stuff like that as a little kid and stuff like that. And so we were always around the business completely. You know, I was there when he built Halberts Incorporated and d did all these things. But when I was around, and I'm having a hard time knowing the timeline because we were, I know that I know that I was at least somewhere between eight and before 11 years old. So I'm guessing right around 10 years old. We were walking to a coffee shop, his favorite coffee shop. It's no longer there called Zucky's. Actually, he called it Zucky's. I think it was called Zucky's in reality. But what my dad was notorious for also blowing his money. It wasn't until I was older that I realized that what he would, when he, with marketing, he did it sort of like the way a gambler does it, which is he gets a bigger adrenaline rush and endorphin flood because he gets a big win right when he needs it. So he blew all of his money as well. There's a lot of other reasons that he was bad with managing money. But so he was down on his luck at one point, but he was getting ready to start, you know, rebuilding and building another business and everything. And I said to him, I said, you know, I'm really lucky. He said, why is that? And I said, because my older, oldest brother, you know, got the little dirt bike, motorcycle dirt bikes and, you know, the toys and the hand-me-down cars and all this other stuff. I said, I get to see how you actually make the money. 
And he was, he thought that was the sharpest thing that any kid had ever said. So he said, you know what, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And so right from then on, he took time out to teach me all about direct marketing. I was on plane rides back to back East to go with big meetings that he was having. He would even take me out of school. He would say, you know, what, what you're going to learn in school today, you can learn tomorrow. He says, but what I'm going to do is show you where the magic happens. And he took me to a brainstorming session with a top list broker and a top marketing guru. Actually, it was Eric Weinstein and Jay Abraham. And they were all meeting in a hotel and everything. It, um, it was, a, it was a, the hotel dining room is where they were meeting. And I remember because the place was closed, we were the only ones like having, I don't know, it was either like lunch at 11 o'clock in the morning or like one or two, or two in the <laughs> afternoon. And they were all going through, we were going through list brokerage cars and talking about lists and what to offer those lists that they would like. So it was kind of brainstorming big ideas and, and what's, you know, and targeting um, hot markets and things like that. And so I was raised that way and, and, and it continued forever. And then um, what had happened was I eventually, when I was, you know, off school and older, I was a client liaison for my father as well. And I was always in the meetings with him where he was, he kind of taught me to think in headline form, think of the big idea and the headline and what's really going to grab attention and, you know, feel people's interest. And so people would say, Gary, I've got this and this and that. And they would be talking to him and stuff. And I would listen to the conversation and they would say something. And I'm like, okay, now he's going to use this. This is what the headline's going to be. And I became very good at it because, you know, somebody was talking about their story and stuff like that. And then, you know, you find out that this skin cream is made with an ingredient that you can't, you know, that's only found, you know, in the Himalayas, <laughs> you know, on the, southern side of the Pakistani side and everything. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be, you know, the amazing skincare secret of, you know, that was hidden in the Himalayan mountains and so forth. I, I could think in his headline form the way that he was going to do it. But more interesting than that, so I became one of his first students. And, but then I watched him also become an instructor because when he went to Boron, he started writing a series of letters to me. Now, he was, a lot of people don't know he was really teaching me stuff he had already been teaching me. He was kind of formalizing that teaching. When he got out, he took those letters and that formed the basis of the Gary Halbert uh, newsletter. And then he became a you know, master instructor. So I wasn't just paying attention to the lessons because I had heard them so much that I was able to internalize them and get them down on a core cellular level that I was the only one who was able to truly use his direct response concepts and apply them online and get higher open rates than everybody else was. And I was able to make, so what I was in, and for his teaching, what I was able to do is formula, you know, create formulas and create for the process. So in other words, instead of giving you a template or telling you to write a hundred headlines and practice, I would actually say, here's a system that will allow you to write a hundred radically different headlines and start practicing. Because I had, you know, was paying attention to how he taught and I was paying attention to how to get better at the teaching as well. But I was in direct response. I worked with him for a while and as an adult and he made more money, took home more money on a project that I ran than he did in any other project that he had ever done. So I had all this experience. The one experience I did not want, I did a little bit of, I was fine with it. It's just, I don't like it, was taking on clients, right? <laughs> so... Um, and it's, you know, you're, you're talking to a lot of solopreneurs, which I applaud because, you know, even though you have to bring on other people to scale, to get big, when you sell your own stuff, you make a lot more money than if you work for clients, you know, 5% of the gross of 
uh, working for a client to make a million dollars, you got to pull in $20 million gross sales. If you are doing a solopreneur deal and you're running your own advertising, you know, you can, you can make a million dollars bringing in just $3 million in gross sales. So the, the, the numbers are much better with you. So I was doing things on my own. And then eventually my, you know, we all know my father passed away. And because he passed, when he passed away, uh, somebody asked me to be like on a podcast and they said, do you mind if we talk about your father? And I said, no, I love my father. And then like somewhere in the podcast, they'd start realizing how much I actually knew that I wasn't like, you know, Frank Sinatra's young kid that, you know, just, you know, could only tell you what he was like around the house. So, but in growing up and this is going back a little bit, my dad would reward us for big ideas the way that most parents would reward their kids for hitting a home run in baseball. We were taught to think that way. We were taught marketing. And the, you know, a lot of people will talk to me or ask me questions, you know, how do you get your family on board for an entrepreneurial dream? Because, and I do know this. And the reason I know all of this is because of teaching people and seeing that they struggle with getting family and friends to believe in them or to support their cause. Everybody pretends in America that they're all for the small business owner and they're the, the champions of small businesses. But try and tell your family you're going to open up a restaurant. First thing you're going to hear is the statistic about how 95% of them fail. And everybody's going to be say, sure, but don't you think you better have a real job to fall back on and blah, blah, blah. I know that that's true from watching it happen to other people. But in my, you know, me growing up, I found out that my great grandparents, my grandparents, they opened up little small, you know, stores and business, you know, bars and stuff. My dad and my mom were both very pro entrepreneur. So I, I didn't have that part growing up. So it was kind of like having as much positive, positivity as you can in, in direct response marketing, zero negativity about, oh, you can't do this or, oh, it won't work you know, full support and an interest in it. So with all of that, you know, I had an advantage and a break, you know, and a great, I had a great advantage over everybody else who was discovering stuff. Now, the other thing you got to remember, which is the key part going back to the beginning, this all started like when I was 10, right? You know, I grew up with Jay Abraham being Jay, Dan Kennedy being Dan, John Carlton being John, you know, these are just, these are people who I knew and they were all people who, it, to me, it was, there was no starstruckness in there. And it was, it was, and when you, you know, if you start doing anything at the age of 10 and you continue doing it for a few decades, there's no doubt you're going to pick up a talent for stuff. So a talent for big ideas, a talent for, you know, writing copy or a talent for, you know, structuring a, an ad campaign and stuff like that. So I don't, I consider myself, so the main thing that I want to say is I consider myself lucky right? You know, it's like people who turn around and say, well, no, I'm great at this and this and this and that. I truly believe that if you were born Gary Halbert's son, you expressed an interest early enough, you, you stuck with the ideas and you had had my experiences, you'd be just every bit as good or better than I am. <laughs> it's, 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 it, but it's, but it's a dumb luck. And it, 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 the only disadvantage to it is a lot of people want to hear, oh, I was struggling in my car and I'm in the exact same situation you were. I was sleeping in my car, I was addicted to drugs, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I made the breakthrough that, you know, whereas for me, it was like, okay, well, you know, I don't really, you know, I've written things that didn't go as well as I'd hoped them to go, but I've never had that total zero complete bomb just because 
I focus first on making an offer that basically everybody's been begging me for anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. I want to come back to something you said a moment ago. You mentioned about the always positive mindset. Some people would probably say there could be a danger there to a point because entrepreneurs are like perennial forever optimist. I can make this happen. I can, I can do it. I can get there. And if that one doesn't succeed, well, that's all right. The next one will. And that's just our, our optimist attitude. And I, I believe it has to be filtered with how do you actually make that happen? And the good news is you, you have the experience to say, okay, I know that here are the challenges and here's how I can make it happen anyways. So talking to somebody who may not have that background, and, and of course our call today is about big ideas, and I, I love that you brought that up. How do you find a big idea? What, you know, what does that look like in, in a slow floor business? Like it could be, maybe it's a service business. Maybe it's them. I mean, this is a big deal for a lot of solopreneurs. Like their USP or their, you know, whatever they're offering is themselves. Maybe they're a coach or a consultant or a copywriter or whatever. How do they differentiate? Where do they find the big idea for themselves? That's something I think a lot of people struggle with. Well, there's a couple places to do it. And then I'll tell you about a hack. Okay, the, fir the first thing that you want to do is to really stop assuming that you know your customers all the time because your customers change. You know, all of a sudden COVID hits and the situation changes. Sometimes your customers are now more ravenous for your deal. They're more worried about, you know, life insurance. And so your, ins your insurance and insurance is going up. Other people you're dealing with, all your customers are now all of a sudden nervous. Or on, they're on the different level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you look at that, that hierarchy of needs, and you view it as uh, relates to business on the bottom. It's like, well, I'm just trying to survive. I'm keeping the doors open. And then I'm trying to make the, I'm trying to make the business steady, right? And make sure that I'm not losing money. And then I'm playing for my position in the marketplace. And then, I'm, you know, you go all the way to the top where I'm trying to leave my legacy and mark, right? And everybody could have just, depending on the industry in, everybody could have just dropped, right? <laughs> sure. You know, so now they're in a situation. But the problem is a lot of people assume that nothing changes. Now, what does not change is the emotions involved with what people are buying from you. So people who are in a city like Los Angeles and are buying a Ferrari are buying attention, you know, because you, you can't go 200 miles an hour on our pothole filled roads, right? That's what you're doing is you're buying prestige and attention. Your concerns about that purchase can change, you know, your arguments, the sales arguments and everything will change. And so I'll give you an example of that. Your turn, you know, you're a solopreneur, let's say, and you're, you teach coaching, okay? And now all of a sudden, you know, you teach people how to make money on their own and how to t turn their skill set into cash flow. But, you know, what all of a sudden, your, your Facebook ads don't work as well as they used to. And you realize that one of the reasons that, or if you're in their shoes, okay, you don't know why. You're like, it's the same offer. It's still a chance to make money. Why wouldn't people take me up on it? But you turn around and realize, well, you know what? They've been seeing this ad for about six months now, and they're, they think everything's changed. So now the big idea is to change it to how to, how to turn your expertise and skill into cash flow in late 2020, meaning it works now, right? So that's, that, you're, you're doing that, that simple shift. You're addressing one of their new concerns about working with you. And so you have to become a problem solver. So that's where the optimism comes in. Everybody thinks, well, you can't do this. Now, my father one time, when he was writing the world's, what turned out to be at one point, the world's most widely mailed sales letter, he was selling coat of arms and reports of coat of arms. And, but what he needed to do was sell the, um, 
you know, he needed to mail out a certain group of names, like all the Halberts, right? Or all the Coombs, okay? So he was creating what looked like a personal letter, but was really fake. He was printing a thousand letters that went out to dear Mr. Coombs. Then he was mailing to what was the holy grail of mailing at that time, which was called the Donnelly List. R.R. Donnelly had compiled a list of all the people who had addresses in the phone book, right? And everybody was looking for something that would work to that list. So they're not all overweight. They're not all desperate for money. They're not all in debt. They're not all into astrology. One thing they all had in common is they all had last names. Now, you couldn't mail the entire list because there were certain um, names that had too high a frequency, like uh, Miller, right? Nobody, thought, nobody named Miller thought their name was special because they met a bunch of people named Miller. My mom was the one who figured that out. So they, but anyway, all of a sudden, the list brokerage companies that had the, the R.R. Donnelly had this list, and they sorted it via zip code instead of names. And this was a long time ago before you could just change the sort in a computer. So my dad gets on the plane because they tell him that this can't be done. He goes back, finds out how it can be done, pays the money to have it done, comes back, and the list is resorted again in alpha order. Okay? So he didn't take no for an answer. And there's a couple of things that I want to express that I think are lessons um, that I learned from him in how you get these things done. So one is just because something hasn't been done or somebody says it can't be done doesn't mean that that's true. And the more often you prove that, the more confident you get that there is a workaround, that there's some way to do it. You know, you talk to somebody and they're saying, well, I can't do that because my people, we're talking about something more personal. They won't share that publicly. Okay, why don't you black out their faces and and moderate their voices like like you're talking, doing an undercover expose? Oh, that might work right? There was, I remember mentioning to you, there was a, somebody who was saying, I work in the real estate business in Los Angeles. And the problem is nobody can afford homes. And I said, well, that you turn that problem into a lemon, uh, that lemon into lemonade. I said, now you write a thing, uh, your article is about how anybody who makes $40,000 a year can afford a home in Los Angeles. And then He's like, well, how could that be true? And I said, well, you know, one, everybody just passed, they just passed a law that allows you to turn your garage into an ADU, an auxiliary dwelling unit so that you can rent out to people to help pay the mortgage. You can, if you work at home, section off a piece of the house where you work, but the front can be used as a daycare where you just hire a nanny and you can watch seven or eight kids that are paying, you know, $1,000 to $1,500 a month to be watched there. And then that's going to pay your entire mortgage for you. And I just listed all these different ways that you could do that. And you put these in this report and that makes it so that you could afford the house. Now, that doesn't mean that these people are all going to do that. But what it means is people are thinking now outside the box, oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. And then there's all these other opportunities. Now you're hooking these people up with the ADU construction team that's guaranteed to deliver you a rentable unit within six months so that you can get positive cash flow. And then also comes with somebody who specializes in putting you on a rental list to get people into the rental, you know, that, you know, that people are looking for these like cute, better places to live than a, um, than an apartment. Right. So now, you know, you now there's chances to make money with all these connections and these other opportunities. So when you think the way that I do and the way my dad taught me, you see opportunity, 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 opportunity. Well, one of the things that my dad taught me is two things. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Now, I don't think he didn't come up with that phrase, but it basically meant go find out quickly whether or not this can work or not. You know, go talk to, you know, so he would go talk to people in person 
and you know talk about a deal or an offer and see if they could get a yes from them verbally before he would often sit there and write something out so you know most of the time people i and i teach this to my kids you know most of the time people have these dreams and let's say your dream is to become a veterinarian and what they do is they say okay to do that i need to go to college right and then from college i need to i need to get my grades up in high school and all of this other stuff and i feel really bad for the people who go through high school go through college they go and work at a veterinarian's office they become a veterinarian and realize that it's more of a business about payroll and you know they they can't save all the dogs they want to just because they're cute dogs you know they they got to treat it as a business make money and there's something and i'm not saying this is all of them but there's something about the business they just hate now they've spent and invested 12 you know years into doing something that turns out they really didn't like the fastest way to find out if you liked it would have been to, while in high school, go volunteer and spend some time and look at how the business is actually run. Try something. So when you try something really quickly, you find out whether it's got legs or not. You know, you find out if it works. So it's better to do it down and dirty, rough, you know, offer and everything else. And then if it works, polishing it, doing better copy, writing better bullets, you know, refining the offer, all of these things will make life a lot easier. The other things that he taught me that I do is, you know, understanding and walking in the shoes of prospects. So, you know, when you are actually looking for a, you know, what, I'll give you an example. I was online and I was doing my first website. And the only reason I was doing this website was because my brother kept telling me, you didn't know, you don't know how hard it is to write a, you know, to create a website. I got tired of hearing that because he kept acting like he was some sort of like hacker genius, right? I, uh, I started writing this, this hobby website with my daughter, actually. And I was putting in the field where people would sign up to be on a list. And that's when it hit me. I was like, you know, what would I do if, I, if this was this? And it, the whole A pile, B pile speech thing hit me that, you know, my dad had a, a gigantic breakthrough with direct marketing. By realizing how people sort their mail. They call it the APAL BPAL speech. He said people come home from a hard day's work and they sort their mail over a wastebasket. They put an A pile and a B pile. The B pile is stuff they might be interested in. Oh, there's that, you know, I need an oil change and there's an oil change offer here from my mechanic. So that goes B pile. Oh, I don't want this. It goes in the trash. A pile was your letters, your correspondence from family, your bills, things you had to open no matter what. So he was having all these lackluster results because all of the gurus of the time were saying, use a window envelope, put teaser copy on, because if you use a window envelope, you don't have to print the, the address twice and it saves you money. And if it saves you money, you need fewer orders to be a success. It sounded logical. Teaser copy would get that stuff open, send it bulk rate because it's cheaper, you know, through a metered machine. You don't have to pay for somebody to put on a stamp. Well, he sat there and said, if somebody, imagine somebody had a gun to his head, was going to pull the trigger if he didn't make a sale. This was the very, if you ever hear people talk about gun to the head marketing, this is the exact story where it came from. So he said, what would I do differently? And he said, well, I'd want to make sure I got into that A pile. So the first thing he did was put, he sent it first class with an actual live stamp. He would actually put print the, the um, address on the envelope and the upper left hand, the corner, uh, they call it the uh, corner card, would just have an address, maybe a name, but an address, but no indication of like, you know, this is from ABC Insurance Company or anything like that. And what he was doing was getting you past the 
the human spam filter, which was your brain, you know, which was, you know, look, this is junk mail. This is junk mail. I got to open this. Right. Well, I was looking at that website and I said, the first thing I would do is I put in my spam email address. Okay. Because what's really happening in life when you, when you throw out an offer is you say, look, I've got the deal for you. You know, you want to learn how to become a physical, a physical therapist, build a physical therapy business, or you want to be a physical fitness coach or something along these lines. And I have the great PDF and video for you. So check it out for free. Just sign up here and I'll send it to you. Everybody, what they're doing is they're going and they're signing up with their spam email address, right? So then they go to their spam email address and there's 500 to 1,000 emails that have piled up there since they were last there. They ignore them and go right to the top to where they're finding that link that they were looking for. And they click on it and they watch the video or they watch the presentation. And it's done one of two things. They've either they've delivered and they're off to the net looking for a better solution or they didn't deliver. I mean, or, or they did, excuse me, if they didn't deliver, they're off looking for a new solution or they did deliver and they're getting into the exercises and everything. Either way, they ignore or delete all those emails, right? Now, when you send them an email again, they don't get it or open it. Right. Because, you know, so the fact was everybody at the time that I had just did this was worried about getting through a spam filter. They're worried about whether you use the word free in the subject line. They were worried about, you know, and which they should worry about, but not first. And the moral of the story was don't worry about being, you know, it'd be better for you to be in the spam box of a primary email address than in the primary box of a spam email address. Worry about getting a primary email address first. So I started going and saying, what would get me into the primary box? What, what makes me give you my primary email address versus my spam? And I would come up with, and I came up with these ideas like, you know, well, one, if I design this to work on a mobile phone, right? And I, and I told them that they wanted to consume this content on their phone to kill time while they're waiting in line for a plane or on, at the bank or something. They're going to give me a primary email address because most people don't operate separate email addresses on their phones. So I started making offers that way. Okay. And then we started, you know, we, so there's a whole bunch of different things I did, but by walking in the shoes and being one of those people and saying, this is where I wouldn't buy my own BS. And this is what would make me do or want to do what it is I want people to do. That was a big key. If you are a problem solver, an optimist, and you're like, okay, here's a cheap, quick workaround. And sometimes people, their workaround is like, you know, well, but I'd have to pay somebody to do this and this and that, and that's an extra job. It's like, okay, we'll do the math. If paying somebody to do that and to handle these things manually before you can figure out an automated system, because everybody wants to automate stuff. But if I got a VA to do this and it, you know, and it costs me $100 a week, but it brings in an extra $2,000 that week, do it. You know what I mean? Do it roughly, then figure it out later. Another thing that I, I always want to say is group thinking beats uh, individual thinking. No matter how slick or smart I think I am or anybody thinks they are, you get enough people, and they can be average IQ people. You get enough people in a room together, and you throw out a positive idea, uh, uh, say, this is what we're trying to solve. We found that this is the situation and we would like to solve this problem or make this easier or make this a non-issue. And you want to do this very specifically. You say, how could we make sure that this absolutely didn't agree? And don't worry about cost at all. If money was no object, how do we get this done? How can we actually afford to buy a house if we only make $40,000 a year? 
and everybody starts thinking about their, you know, this solution. And then I know somebody who did this and, oh, here's a good idea. And then somebody, you know, what you can do is Airbnb it out on the, you know, on the weekends or, you know, or, or, you know, you separate the section so you can Airbnb it. They come up with all these different ideas, right? Then you write down all those lists. You take the ones that you think are good. And then you have the group separately say, now, how could we do this cheaper? So it's like, how can we turn that ADU unit and get it done cheaper and faster? So what happens, but you want to, you want to do that separately because if you say, how can we do this, but make it cheap? People are thinking my idea is no good because they're going to say it's too expensive and they won't throw it out. Yeah. I just want to point out, you know, what we're talking about here is, is beyond marketing big idea. We're talking about product development big idea here now, because this is really key stuff. Uh, I just want to make sure you're listening to this. Don't miss this because this is huge. I mean, you're like, how do I, how do I come up with something really crazy, fantastic that somebody's going to want to not just give my email for, but pay for this material. Uh, <laughs> you're getting it from Bond right now. So I just want to point this out and <laughs> take an interject there, but I know I'm just loving it. I'm not even entirely talking. I'm just like here taking notes and <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. But, but seriously, this is product development 101. You're getting like a masterclass that you could pay good money for, or you can continue listening. <laughs> Fine, I'm going to shut up. You, you continue on. I mean, this is, this is good stuff. <laughs> well, okay. So some, here's some other tricks to doing it. So I, you know, so when you do, when you ask those questions separately, you get, you get ideas. Um, the third way to do that is to do the right research. If you're going into the research, so, and this is the one thing I want to teach everybody to do. I, I did this instructional video on this one time, but one of the things that I try and teach people to do that's really important is how to do Google research. So if you were doing, if you were looking at how people are selling coaching stuff, right? You know, you look at SpyFu and you look at all these things to, you know, you look at the ads that you see running over and over again on Facebook. And then you look at their ad statistics in the little box and stuff and you're getting information. What I would, what you want to do is say, okay, you want to learn how to do that and separate what they're advertising now that's working versus what they were doing in 19, in, in 2019. Okay, because you're trying to find out what, you know, how have they changed their function right now? And then what you do is when you're doing the research and you're going into forums and Google reviews and you're finding out what people are doing, that's where you find out other people have solved these problems in small ways, but they're not marketers. So they're not bringing that solution to the big market. You know, what they're doing is, you know, somebody's getting into something like right now, one of the things that's trending right now is like Bob Ross painting. Bob Ross painting kits and, you know, because everybody's at home and they're, it's, you know, it's meditative. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. But so what's really selling there is the ease of which somebody can paint something, but there are all these tools. And if you look at it there, you know, the big problem with it is by the time you're set up the way that he's set up, you spent like $300, <laughs> you know, just, you know, to, to paint two ugly, you know, paintings of trees <laughs> because it takes time for you to get better at it. I'm not saying that you can't, but there are that that becomes a problem. And you, you, you talk to somebody else who says, you know, you go online because you look at the forum that says ha- that's happy trees on Reddit. Right. These are all Bob Ross fans. And they say there's somebody who's showing you this is what I wish I had learned before. Not everybody's going to Reddit and doing that kind of level of investigation. So what happens is from there, you say, here's, you know, you create a book on how to do the Bob Ross style wet on wet painting and become better at it faster, you know, and it's only 99 cents, right? You know, we'd offer it for free, but we put it on Amazon and you go there 
and they do the and this is off the top of my head by the way i've never spoken about this before but you go to the amazon thing right and it says listen you know these are the techniques that i've learned and so forth and so on i also have these instructional videos and i you know i i took the best of what's of the bob ross techniques and i started actually getting to the questions that he never answered that i you know that took me 10 hours to figure out so if you're having this problem this problem that problem and this problem this actually i actually have the solutions for them in here I'm going to give you three of them, but the re, you know, and that'll, you know, each one I give you saves you an hour to two hours of learning. So that makes it definitely worth the $1 for this document. And if you like what I've got, get my DVD because I'll save you another 20 hours. Walking through those ideas. Another thing that I did one time was I, you know, again, it's walking through those shoes. There are there's, a, there's somebody who's, they're actually using this now. There's some big marketers that are using this technique that I, I developed for Google ads. Google ads, people, the one thing you need to know is when you're going to market somewhere, you understand why people are going where. YouTube is the how do I do this channel. Yep. Google key AdWords are I have a problem and I need a solution. You know, because you don't Google, you don't type in, you know, how to you know, how to, how to stop my tendonitis unless you have tendonitis. You don't right. just do that idly. Facebook is like a billboard that you're cruising by, you know, so, you know, you might see it. Now, the good thing is it's better than a billboard because you're targeting people who, you know, Google's AI is going to figure out and target the people for you. So all of these things have different things going on with them. But I was doing this for Google ads one time. And it was for that original site that I had started with my daughter. And it was my first Google keyword ad. And the, the market was already flooded and inundated. So long gone were the days where, you know, you were the first one to write how to get a good deal on a car type of thing. And this was a site about free things to do in Los Angeles. So what I did was I, ran, I, I, I looked at it. I'm like imagining that I was one of these people. And I looked at all the other ads that were there. And so I needed to assure them that they were going to get what they wanted. So the site was free things to do in Los Angeles, right? So, you know, there's an authority. It's kind of like, well, he has to provide that because it's the name of the freaking site, right? And then the, the, the draw-in was something that was like a promise too good to be true. You know, come here, list, list, you know, hundreds of parties, beach events, things for kids, outdoor activities. And so it was like specifically targeting people and saying, how could this possibly be true? Then the key line that I had room for that I put in there that was really the big deal was no signups necessary. So when people are looking at your advertising, let's suppose you're a coach, right? And people are looking at your advertising on Facebook. They're saying, oh, you know, you know at first it was easy pickings because this was nobody knew about it. But everybody now knows if I click on this ad, they're going to ask me for an email address. I'm going to have to go through four hoops to find out the three top secrets to getting my emails open. So that's going to not engage them and say, here's a, here's a list of five ways to double your, that could double your, you know, your email open rate, you know, click here, no signups necessary. That gets you to go there. And then you go and say, look, I'm going to give you five. I've actually got a hundred different things that will all help you. And it's, and I give you this free checklist or whatever it is, my thing, but here they are. And you just go ahead and give them the you know, you give them the, the actual stuff and say, well, if you really thought those were good, you know, check these out. And you give away some of the greatest stuff. So one of the things I had learned from my father is give away some of your best content first. And so there are people now that are using that, that I taught that trick to, <laughs> that are now using it to go even further. But 
the the one of the things I also want to say when it comes down to a hack is you can buy them. You know, a lot of people don't understand that the business you're in, no matter what business in direct marketing, you're a solopreneur, you run a big company, you are a life coach, you are a yoga instructor or anything. You are in, we are all in the same business. We are all in the arithmetic business. Our job is to make sure that we get more money coming in than money going out. So knowing your numbers is one of the first things that's so important. And that's why people are so, you know, they, they're like, I'm posting this in these groups and I'm building up my reputation and I'm doing this. And they don't take the leap into where the big money is. And the big money is in where you pay to play. Okay. The big money is where you pay for advertising. The reason Facebook does so well with that is people are like, well, I can try it for five bucks. I can try this for ten, you know, $10 a day for a while. I grew up in the world where if you wanted the answer to a question about whether this headline was better than this headline, you had to spend ten dollars to $50,000. This was back in like the 80s to run a full, play, full page ad and split test to find out what's the difference between them. Now you can do A-B splits with your email tests. You can actually use other people's emails and, and forms and everything to split test headlines and all kinds of different things. You have a huge advantage now. But the point is this, you're in a numbers business and this is the, the most key fundamental uh, thing that I'm sure you've heard about and everything, but what's super, super, super important about knowing your numbers is that if you, you know, you know that the market is of a certain size and there's lots of money. You see people making $25,000 per mastermind group. You know, and you see some, you know, I've seen people who make more than that per person per mastermind group, yeah, right? You're like, wow, okay. And, and, you know, some of them are fake. Some of them are like, yeah, we, you know, we got a $100,000 mastermind and, you know, there's one person in there that paid for it, right? <laughs> but uh, there are ones that I've seen where, the, you know, and I've, I've talked to my friends. I'm like, you really spent 80 grand to be in that mastermind? And they're like, yeah, they really did. But so you know that there's money to be made in that, in that field, and you know that the, you know, the, the lead generation and everything in that test is going to cost you $5,000. And, you know, when it comes in, you're going to get two or three, you know, customers or whatever. You're doing the numbers and you know what it is. Then, you know, you, it's a matter of how much money to get the leads, how, what's the best conversion, how to get it out. If you think about it on those scales and those terms, you can hire the idea guys that are, you know, they're, they're not nearly as expensive as everybody thinks because they're getting paid per hour. And I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm not, I'm saying people like you and people like me are people that, you know, it's like, hey, I've got this one particular instance and I would like to get some ideas on what you think are, might be some good ideas for it. And you give them a blank, you don't say, here's my copy, critique it. If you say, here's my copy and critique it, I'm going to critique your copy. I'm not going to give you a whole new direction to go in. I'm not going to say, this is where you should do the marketing. This is what your angle should be. This is what you, you know, what you, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually say, no, look, you're being repetitive here. You shouldn't be using these kind of adverbs. You know, this is a more compelling angle. You're not calling out the target in the headline, all of that stuff. That's revamping a current existing piece. If you want big ideas, you want to come in with the kind of idea of, well, here's what I bring to the table. 
right? This is who I am. This is my background. This is my expertise. This is my knowledge. I'd like to hop on a call with you. And then I would like to get some big ideas on how to separate, how to get that USP, how to look unique compared to everybody else. So how can I, how can I make sure that my product delivers results faster, delivers better results, delivers the results for less money, delivers the same results that you would get somewhere else, higher quality, more prestigious, you know, all of these different things. And you get, you know, you know, because let's suppose that, and I'm not, I'm not pitching myself. Let's suppose that you did that with one of the other top name gurus. They're about 2,500 bucks. And for 2,500 bucks, if you got the big idea that changed your promotion, how much, you know, how much of a result change do you need to be worth that $2,500? That's the real key. You know, yeah, I want to point something else out too, because you're talking about the numbers. And one of the numbers that really is there we need to talk about is customer lifetime value. It's not just the one offer they buy. It's what's your back end? What, you know, what are you going to sell them next? And how do you sell them after that? And how do you keep them buying from you? And then you have JV and affiliate offers. There's so many ways to make money that once they're in your ecosystem, you, you can just continue to make money. It's the first, it's the first fail that makes the difference. And then, you're, and then you have them. If we went back to the example of the buying the house one, right? So now me and another broker are selling the exact same number of houses. I'm not even crushing him, but I'm also getting a thousand dollars, you know, in referral fee from everybody who's I'm I'm switching sending this contractor to who's doing the ADU. A lot, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Like you got to think about what is your position. So, for example, most of the time, if you sell somebody their first home right? You're a realtor. You sell somebody their first home. They have just trusted you with the largest decision they've ever made in their life in a scary new venture they know very little about. That means that, you know, and if you've done a good job and you've done a good follow-up, you can you call them back and say, hey, how are you liking the new house? You go beyond the way the other realtor does, who looks at you as one and done because you're not going to buy another house for five to 20 years. He looks at you as one and done. But you are smarter than that. So, you, or you're, there's a smarter realtor and she calls up and says, you know, hey, by the way, I noticed in the neighborhood, there's this, you know, this, by the way, there's this newsletter thing you might want to sign up for. I, you know, I live a few blocks away. If you ever need anything, let me know. By the way, here, you know, when, when I noticed on your inspection, the one thing that it said you could use is new plumbing. If you do need that, just hit me up. I know a great plumber that will give you a fair price and an expertise in these houses that were all built in 1938. So the thing is, what's going? You're you're increasing that lifetime value because I think we mentioned it before. Is I once did this spreadsheet on Excel and I throw in there, you know, what's the number one thing? You know, like getting your your leads. How much it costs to get people to click and go onto your ad or run the ad? How much it costs? You know, every time they click it you know, what's the conversion rate? What's the, you know, the refund rate, all this other stuff. The number one thing you can do is sell something else. And the big idea things are, you know, this is one thing that's really funny. My dad would run ads and the ads would break even. And that would make people millionaires because what would happen is after you spent $10,000 running an ad in the newspaper and you got enough ads and you sold the products, you delivered them, You've, you know, you issued your refunds and everything. You just broke up flat even. You could take all the people who didn't refund, mail them again. Now you didn't have to pay $10,000 an ad to get their names, sell them stuff. And then all of the profit would come in on the, what that's what we call the back end, right? The back end product. Exactly. 
my dad, as soon as he broke even, was like, eh, you know, he didn't, he only liked making money on the front end, but he was one of the few that could actually even do it. My brother and I went to, we were in junior high school and uh, we were one grade apart and they had career day and you got to sign up for it. Both him and I, I didn't know he was doing this. We both signed up for, um, I think it was direct mail. I think it, it was direct mail. And he had no idea who our father was. And so my brother raises his hand and asks the guy, he says, well, you know, what kind of a response rate do you need to be profitable? He goes, oh, we're looking usually for half a percent, right? Well, my dad's like, oh, my dad shoots for 13%. Right? <laughs> and, and, and no idea who we were at the time, you know, um, that, you know, and, and but this time, you know, my dad is literally the king of the hill when it comes to copywriting and direct mail. In fact, um, I had another friend, a friend of mine's brother, was studied copywriting, but he studied copywriting at like UCLA where, you know, you, you kind of study the copy that you put on boxes that says Kazam or, you know, you come up with more like the Got Milk slogans. And he goes into a, um, he goes into a uh, meeting to talk to somebody, an interview about co- a, big, a job as a copywriter. And he goes, well, how much do you charge your, cop- your, your clients for copywriting? And the guy goes, we charge him a good amount. Now, not like Gary Halbert prices. And he goes, who? And he goes, Gary Halbert. He's like, oh, I know that guy's kids. <laughs> and he had, you know, and he also had no idea that I was really raised to think like this, that I wasn't just one of Gary's kids and stuff like that. But back to the big idea, what you want to do is use your group, your group thinking. Walk in the shoes of your prospects. Open your mind. Develop a very much of a can-do attitude. Develop a group of people that are can-do attitudes. And because the thing is, the copy is nothing. It's the, it's the message that you say, that you, it's, the, it's, the, it's what you want to convey. That's the important part is the message you want to convey. It is knowing the prospect. It is coming up with a unique offer. Domino's Pizza was built on the worst pizza that like the world had ever seen. Now they've gotten better since then. I'm not bagging on Domino's. They've, once they got really big, they're like, you know, well, what if this pizza was actually tasty? <laughs> they went... <laughs> You know, they went and hired people who would experiment and, you know, different recipes and they improved their pizza. There'll be plenty of people who are still arguing that it's terrible pizza. But what happened was with Domino's, everybody, there was a thousands and thousands of pizza joints in every city and nobody was paying attention to the customers. So these people were smart enough and they said, you know, you know, they're like, what do you like about your pizza? And everybody at that time was selling their pizza on. We have the most authentic recipe. We use the freshest ingredients. We have, um, we won awards for how good and tasty our pizza is. And they'd say, you know what I really hate about the pizza companies? I don't know when it's going to come. You know, I order it for lunch and it gets an out here an hour later and it's too late. So then I order it an hour early. It comes right away and it's cold by the time I get my lunch break. You know, why is, why is it you can't get this under control? Because, you know, it's like my pizza will be there within 15 minutes to two hours. So they turned around and said, there's our problem. Let's solve that problem. And then they, they sat about and they said, okay, well, what if we got these drivers that were staggered when they were hired and we made sure that the majority of them were working during the prime hours? What if we have the most common pizzas kind of like, you know, in the, you know, ready to go, like the pepperoni and the stuff like that? And they, they figured out their logistics and their solutions on how to do it. So then they made their offer. Now, they could have said half an hour or it's free, 30 minutes or it's on us. How they worded it, the copy didn't matter. It was the message. Right. And it was the offer. That's where the big ideas are always coming from. 
The offer is, you know, what's the message and how you word it. There was somebody, I grew up in Los Angeles, and this sounds political, but it's not. And there were all these people are debating about global warming and whether it is, you know, whether it's man-made or not. Some people arguing whether it exists or not. And somebody was talking about it. And, and I was like, you know what? I don't know if it's man-made or not. I don't know if, you know if it exists because I haven't looked at the data. I can tell you one thing. I'm anti-smog. Uh, you know, I don't like air pollution. I grew up in Los Angeles and it was abused when I was growing up. There was a brown ring of smog around it. And then everybody was fighting the idea and said catalytic converters were going to kill the job industry. But we now have more cars and less pollution and I, you know, fewer people with asthma. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm anti-smog, right? I'm against smog. And it's kind of hard to find somebody that says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I like smog. I want more smog. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that one. So the, the whole point was, you know, I was reframing the way that you think about things. And sometimes when you do your big idea for your marketing, that's what you've got to do. So I will say this. So for example, let's suppose you're a, let's pick, pick any kind of coach or, or a solopreneur or anything. Just tell me like who, uh, a common one that you end up coaching quite a bit. Yeah. So I, I work with a lot of writers, as a matter of fact, because people know me from copywriting as well. Uh, some of you. So copywriters okay. is a big one. So let's go with writers. Okay. And I turn around and say, look, I've got this, you know, I've got this new program and I'm going to teach you brand new system and hooks for, you know, for, for developing hooks, for headlines, for all of these other things. But, you know, one of them is one of the things I guarantee you to do is you're either going to, you know, double your open rates or you're going to triple, you know, or um, slash refunds down to, you know, slash them in half. One of these things or, or one of these things. And I guarantee I can do it. And if I, and if you, if you use this stuff, you prove it to me and it doesn't work, I will give you your money back. So then what you do is you say, look, here's the deal. If I teach you something that gets you a 10% increase in your overall results in marketing, just because you found a better way to drive attention, turn that attention into interest, turn that interest to fuel desire, take that desire, compel people to act. And if I can teach you a trick, you know, one of the things I'll do is I'll teach them a trick right away that already paid for itself. So I say, you know, just using this trick alone, you know, is what, you know, go use it, uh, if, you know, if you want to, but you know, right now that that's going to work and it's proving to do all of this stuff. But I'll turn around and say, let's put it into dollar terms. This program costs $50 a month, or this program costs $100, or this program costs whatever the amount is. How good does it have to be? Oh, if you're looking at the lifetime of, you know, the lifetime improvement over everything you market and you go through going forward. So how much is 10% increase in your profitability for every promotion or ad campaign you're going to create from now until you retire? Now compare that to this, you know, and and to that price. It becomes like a no-brainer. And I will give you, since you've got a lot of writers, I'll give you a, a really great clothes. This is something my father taught me that he didn't teach any of his other protégés or anybody else. So let's suppose that you've got the, pro, you got the program for writers. You say, I'm going to help you get your results guaranteed. If I don't deliver in the very first month the value of, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that first 
you know, you're going to come into, you're going to do that first training. If that first training isn't worth the price of the entire training, you can ask for a refund and I will give it to you. Now that's just good regular marketing sense, right? But here's the, here's the killer close. But I want you to think about it this way. What if I'm wrong and I, and you know, I teach you something and you already know it, there is no results and it doesn't help you at all. I'm actually not interested in helping you. I'm kind of a con artist. I actually, my house is under foreclosure right now and I'm planning on leaving my wife and kids and I'm running away to Costa Rica and I'm going to take your thousand dollars and go down there and I'm going to blow it on, I'm going to blow it on, you know, boat drinks on the beach (laughs) and I'm going to do, you know, and I'm going to go live it up until the authorities catch up with me and put me in jail, right? You're, you're magnifying the negative. Right. The worst case scenario here is you're going to take this guarantee that I've actually made so that you can print it out from my website. You're going to go to your insurance, your, um, your, you're going to go to your credit card company and you're going to say, Hey, this was fraudulent and you're going to get everybody your money back. And if I'm wrong, so if I'm wrong, you will have wasted your time, gone through a few hoops and lost no money whatsoever. But what if I'm right? What if what I teach you increases your, increases your ability to convert sales to a tune of 10 to 50% over the lifetime of your career as a copywriter? What, you know, and then, you know, now you have, you know, and you get the kind of A-list skill and build the reputation fast enough that, you know, putting food on the table and work, you know, working that you have some, that you're going to have the kind of reputation where you're turning away clients left and right you know, and always, always being able to choose from the cream of the crop of projects you want to work on. That's the way that you do a close. You know, it's the, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm right? (laughs) And you put it in those terms and it's like, you know, does that sound like it's worth risking the, the, you know, the thousand dollars and, you know, to, to get into this program type of thing. So that's a close that, you know, you don't want to do that for something that's like a $20 product, but it's clothes that you want to do for higher end products that make people put things into proper perspective. Because, you know, a lot of times the, um, a lot of, a lot of times people don't, how you think about things changes things radically. And I'm going to give you another example of that. I inherited a, well, no, I didn't inherit. It was given to me uh, by my father. My father gave me a gold president Rolex watch. It used to be his and I loved it. It's a long story as to why he gave it to me, but I really kind of earned that watch. And anyway, but because it's all gold, I didn't want to wear it around anywhere in LA because, you know, I don't want somebody to, you know, mug me for it and then lose my precious heirloom and all this other stuff. It was, you know, it was just, it was, um, you know, I do wear it. I don't want to give you the idea that I don't, but it was not an everyday watch to wear. (laughs) Gotcha. But I fell in love with it. And I was like, you know, I really want a nice watch, a really nice watch. And I decided since my name's Bond, I was going to get one of the James Bond watches, either the Omega or the Rolex Submariner. So I went and got the Rolex Submariner. And then John noticed I was wearing it, John Carlton. And he said, you know, and everybody knows that that is a, it's called a superlative chronometer. And they go and they use this astronomical observatory in Switzerland and they time it to make sure that it's accurate to within five seconds every day. Right. But everybody knows a $5 Hello Kitty digital watch is more accurate than that. Right. (laughs) Because the technology has improved. That's just the truth. 
So I'm talking to John. And John's like, well, why in the world would you spend thousands of dollars on a watch that's, you know, and, you know, it's just a wrist piece and it's not as, you know, even as accurate as the digital watches and everything like that. And I instantaneously on the fly came up with the single greatest piece of reframing BS I've ever thought of in my life. Because it was, he said that. And I just, without even blinking an eye or without a second of hesitation, I said, because wearing that watch reminds me that my time is valuable. And he's like, that's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, you know, having that reminds me that you can't get me cheap and that the time is short in life and time is valuable. And if you do have something that reminds you that time is valuable, that's actually a great thing to have, you know. So, you know, how much is it worth to you to have something that constantly reminds you that your time is the most valuable commodity you have and it's precious? But reframing that became something like it became it, it turns somebody who's like would like mock you or make fun of you because you wasted so much money that they could never see themselves doing to going that actually makes quite a bit of sense reframing and how you think of things is a gigantic part of the marketing form of big ideas. The marketing for, you know, where, you know, the best big idea you can have is actually the offer and the product, making it better. You know, your pizza in 20 minutes or less or it's free. But if you're, if you're dealing with a commodity, um, like you're selling insurance for car insurance, it's the how you think about it and getting people to do that can be a much better big idea. Yeah. And here's something else, you know, you're talking about, you no, know, who do I work with? Some of the folks I work with are financial advisors and you get like three different companies and they all have basically the same kind of offer. So mm -hmm. somebody like that, they're kind of like, they're, they're like stymied in a major way as far as how do I, you know, what can I actually say? Yeah. So what, what do you, would you recommend to somebody in that kind of those shoes where they say, I'm kind of halfway stuck in, you know, what can I say? And we say, get a new industry or is there an extra solution for folks like that? There is. And the solution is, is to become somebody that they trust. The, when you hire somebody to be your financial advisor, the reason you're hiring them is because you assume that they know a lot more than you do. And the number one fear that you have is that they're faking it and using words that you don't understand and there's some sort of twist, okay? So what I would do, say, for example, is the way that the deal works. There's, there, I've seen these people where it's like, they say that you need a million dollars to invest in their portfolio. They take a 5% management fee off the top. They also take a percentage of any successful years that they have and so forth. So basically what, what they're really doing is as soon as you invest with them, you are now, your, your portfolio has got to go up 5% to break even, you know, instantaneously because that's the way that their deal is structured. And what they, you know, the problem with that is a lot of people don't understand that if they, and I went and looked at this one guy and his, um, his deal was terrible. His deal was, we take 5% basically management fee up off the top. He was basically using the same calls and puts and, you know, sell, sell signals that he was getting from this research company that anybody could subscribe to for a few hundred bucks, right? And he was doing a terrible job. He was actually making, losing money when the market was going up. <laughs> and, it, you know, I mean, nearly everything, in fact, he had to stop making predictions because his guru grade rating was so low because he just, you know, he was just never accurate and so forth. 
But the important part that I think um, when you're dealing with people is educating them in a way that makes them understand what they're getting into, what the real risks are, why the other people are bad. These are the, bad, these are the things to look out for. Because the more that you can educate them in a way in common English, the better off you are. So let's suppose you say, you know, we like to invest in these things that have, you know, a certain number, a certain percentage of EPS. That's earnings per share. They're still lost. You say, actually, no. And the way that works is really simple. A share is a piece of the company. You know, the more shares out there, like if you have a hundred shares of a company that's existing you own, and you own one, you own 1%. If there's a thousand shares, you own one-tenth of a percent, you know, of, of that company. And then we take all the earnings and the profit that they made and you divide that up and, you know, so forth. And you make them go, oh, okay, I understand what that term means now. You're building trust because now they understand that you're not going to leave them in the dust. So they trust you more than the people who are just trying to look slick and be in a fancy suit and so forth, because that's a, that's a red flag to them. It's a red flag if you're poor, right? You know, so you're, you're showing up in a beat up old 30 year old Toyota Camry, yet you're, you know, you're claiming to be Rupert Murdoch, even though Rupert Murdoch drives like a 20-year-old Toyota and, you know, lives in a small house, right? It's not about reality. It's about perception. Exactly. So the first thing I would do is educate them in a way that makes very common sense stuff. The other thing I would do is work on my Google sniff test. Everybody who's going to do any business with you is going to Google your name. And when they see that, do they just see a LinkedIn profile at the top and a Facebook page? If you Google my name, you're going to see Amazon books that have been written, you're going to see, um, you know, my website will be there, but you'll also see, you know, hundreds of podcasts. You're going to see all these things that let you know, oh, he's the real deal. So you want to work on that Google sniff test. You want to be known as somebody who calls out the other people for, for bad behavior and why this is a bad idea and why these are things not to, to work out for. You want to basically have something that's like, you know, how to, how to invest like an adult, right? You know, which is like, look, yes, everybody likes to tell you that, you know, $10 investment in McDonald's in 1960 would make you a millionaire now. But, you know, what they don't tell you is since then, there was, you know, a thousand companies that look like McDonald's for which you would be broker and dead in if you invested in them as well. That, you know, you need to, in very common English, explain things in a way that makes people feel safe and trust you because that's what they're buying into is they're buying into trust and trust into following you. And I will give you one that I did, but the ones I did was for traders. So I don't know which level that you're at there, but these people were buying and somebody, somebody called me and said, you know, they wanted, they actually hired me for uh, a consult and they said, you know, I want to sell Forex trading system. And he says, you know, what do these people really buy? What is it? What, what is it that, what is it that they're really thinking? And I was working with these people. So I was in, I was in there walking in their shoes and I was doing the research now. And I was paying very close attention to what they were all thinking and doing. And I said, you know what they all believe? They all believe that there's a secret cabal of super rich people that are controlling the entire market and their ideas. And if they could just figure out how they're communicating with each other and the signaling to know which stocks were going to go up, they can take small, you know, they can take a small chunk out of a big, you know, increase and treat the, um, treat the markets as their own ATM machine. 
He went back, wrote exactly that up, and it became one of Agora's big winners at the time and did over $20 million, okay? Because, you know, I understood exactly what they were thinking. And you need to get in there, and there's, it, it, we don't have time to do it with this one, but what you want to do is you create a series of questions that will get the answers to you that will make you find out. Um, give me an example of one of your, like, you, when you say that they do financial stuff, is it a financial blog and is it for people who do their own trading or is it for people who are investing, you know, their money with them in a fund? Give me an yeah. example. Yeah, well, it varies because this is not my business. These are some of the folks that come to our community and they will reach out. They'll help sell them insurance. They'll sell them uh, on, you know, providing a financial plan for their investments. Let's go, financial, let's go with the financial plan for the, invest, for the investments. Okay, so now they, they want to sell a financial plan. So what you do is you go into Reddit or you go into a financial planning Facebook group, okay? And then you want to ask a question. You say, you know, hey, by the way, what do you think are some of the red flags of, you know, people who are hawking a financial plan or people who want to sell you a financial plan? And they tell you everything they don't want to hear. Then what happens is you turn everything they don't want to hear into something that they do want to hear. So they'll say, you know, if they promise these, these kind of, you know, returns that are guaranteed, or they say that they're going to do this, or they say they're going to do that, your copy and your marketing says, and by the way, you know, don't trust anybody who says this or that. And by, you know, what you want to do is, you know, this is adult investing. Yeah, there is some risk in everything, but there are certain reasons that you want to do different things. You know, we invest half of our money in the S&P 500 mimicking fund because to make the S&P 500, you have to be big enough to actually hire smart people to know when the market changes are coming in the future. So very few of them fall off the S&P 500. They stay relatively safe. And because there's nobody predicting, you know, there's nobody making these predictions as to whether something is going to go good or not. But there is one hitch with the S&P 500. The one hitch is, the S&P 500 will go down when there's something you know is not going to do well because something happens. So it'd be better if you were in the S&P 500, but also knew that Amazon's going bigger because of this pandemic. And then there are some things just because they're in the S&P 500 that the mimicking funds have to buy. We're not restricted to that. So we do stick with the S&P 500, but we're also sticking with the ones that show much greater future upside. You know, we're not stuck with the ones that are in there just because they're a behemoth company that is a dinosaur that's not dying yet or that, you know, has got a long way before, you know, before it dies. So, but the point is by doing the research and going into those groups and you say, Hey, you know, who do you trust? Right. Or, you know, who do you think comes up with a financial plan? Why? You know, and you're just asking this, like you're one of the customers that you're trying to get some honest feedback and advice from the other people. And they will tell you what needs to be said, and they'll tell you what, what, builds, what builds their trust. And it's the same thing as kind of like going back into reviews for financial planners and looking at that, except if you ask the questions in the right series of ways and the right innocuous kind of like you're looking for information, nobody knows you're doing research. So I developed this story writing technique, and what it does is you, you take these questions that are open-ended, similar to these questions that I've shared with you. And I ask them out of order in Facebook groups and on forums and stuff like that. 
And I eventually told somebody about it and they're like, I saw you asking those questions. You were doing marketing research. And I'm like, yeah, I was. I was doing the marketing research on copywriters. You know, how'd you get into, you know, how'd you first discover copywriters? You know, and the, the information you get there is unbelievable. It's like, when do you want somebody to, when do, you, when, do you, when do you think is the best time to get somebody who wants financial advice? So somebody's going to turn around and say, I want to get them like, you know, they start thinking about it five years before retirement, right? I want them right at the time when they're going to be the most interested in getting financial advice. So one of the questions is, is, hey, when did you finally start investing in, you know, in, in the markets and why? And they tell you, well, I, you know, I couldn't afford to invest until I was in my 30s. You know? And so you don't target anybody who's not in their 30s or above. And you get people who, you know, find, you know, how did you, you know, you're asking questions like, how did you find your, how did, here's another great one. How did you find your favorite investment guru? And they tell you, well, I came across some of this, or I was watching this podcast. Now you know places to advertise. The, if you do the right market research, you find out what they need to hear in order to buy. You find out where they are listening so that you can put your sales message up there. And what you can do is throw stones and rocks at all the people that they hate so that you can then separate yourself out as being somebody that they can trust because they and everybody else is saying, yeah, those people who say this are wrong. And this is why you can trust me is because I won't say that. And so that's the way that you make yourself stand out from it. And then you also basically say what they secretly believe. And you don't have to say it, say it. You, have, you know, you can turn around and say, you know, did you ever get a feeling that these stocks are being completely manipulated by the rich people who run the exchange? You know, I did. And when I, you know, when that, when that happened with me, I started baking, you know, making moves and I changed up my, strat- my, my investment strategy based on maybe this is possibly true. I do not know that it's related, but I've had great results ever since, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, it buys into the preconceived notion, kind of entering a conversation in their head where they're at. That's exactly. always important. Exactly. And the key is, no, it, and you can find out the conversation they're having in their, hat, in, in their head by going out and actually talking to them or going online and, find, and having a discussion with them. Yeah, and not just Reddit, but Quora is another good place you can put out questions and even anonymously and, and get feedback from people. I'm not sure which ones would be better between the two, but that, that's a great way. Well, Some, sometimes Reddit, you can find groups too, like you know, LinkedIn, Facebook groups, you can also talk to folks. Well, but, but then you've got people who, it depends, this is the thing, who, how, what's the market level awareness you're going after? If you're going after people who already know who certain gurus are, or are you going after people who follow Susie Orman? That's a different level of people. You know, all the people who are in the core, you know, in a LinkedIn investment group are beyond Susie Orman. You need to know who, and that's very important in marketing. Everybody's like, this is the one huge, gigantic mistake that everybody makes. They say, well, who's your investment advice for? Oh, it's for everybody. It's for, you know, it's for teenagers and it's for college graduates and it's for young professionals, for people who are retired, people who want to retire. I handle it all. You make that mistake, you get nobody. That could be true. That could absolutely be true. But that's not what you sell. What you sell is one promotion is how to start investing right as soon, you know, why you need to start investing as soon as you get your first professional job. Well, another one is if you've got 10 years of retirement or not. By the way, the key right now is people who have 10 years or less to retirement. And you know that because those are the ads you're seeing over and over again in the pay to play space because that's where the big money is. 
So the paid, you know, the people who have 10 years left, they're the ones panicking going, oh my God, I don't know if my social security will cover this. And I'm not going to be able to pound nails in 10 years. You know, I'm getting older now. Yeah, that's, that's so core. You've got to have an understanding of, of not just who your market is, but when you're seeing a market, who's your, your ideal prospect? And that can be different. You can have, like I said, and I think this is important for our listeners to really re- realize here. Yes, you can serve multiple target markets, different verticals, niche, whatever you want to call it. But you have to define that narrowly enough so that your offer sounds like a perfect fit for the one person ideal prospect who's reading it. And somebody approaching retirement age is a totally different person than somebody who's just out of college and gets their first professional job. And, and that's such a, an important tip. And I see that mistake made all the time. I, I, I teach copywriters too, just like you do. And, and I see that all the time. They're like, I want to be this and this and this and this and this and this. And like, nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to buy your stuff because nobody has a clue what you're really selling because you're not targeting anybody or anything. You, you have to define that. Yeah, we used to run ads for like, you know, on how to create an ad to drive in money to your business. And it was work for dentists and chiropractors and all these other things. But what we did was we ran the ads that were just for chiropractors. And then one ad was just for dentists and one ad, you know, that's what worked. Because even so, you could you just had to change the ad to make sure that the talk was all about chiropractic work. It was basically identical to the people who were talking about filling patients in your dental practice. And that's absolutely you're 100 percent right. If you're not targeting the people correctly, you know, here's a great lesson in targeting that I also learned from my father too. What's the give me not your street, the name of a street in your neighborhood? Cummings Drive. Cummings Drive. Okay. And what's the name of the neighborhood or small town? Hudson, New Hampshire. Hudson, New Hampshire. Okay. Now, somebody says, and let's imagine that you own a condo. Okay. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm just choosing a condo. You turn around and you say, hey, I've got, um, you know, there's, a, there's some major things happening and here's something everybody who owns a condo should know. Okay. I own a condo. I should probably know that hey, here's something that everybody in New Hampshire who owns a condo should know because there's some changes coming. Somebody says, hey, here's something that everybody who lives in Hudson, New Hampshire should know if they own a condo. Hey, here's something that everybody on Cumming Street in, New ha- in Hudson, New Hampshire, New Hampshire should know, especially if they own a condo. You cannot not open that piece <laughs> of mail, Okay. Because, you know, so the, the more targeted you are, the more gripping and the more they have to do that attention. So you have to find out exactly, okay, how do I do this? So for example, if you're doing your email list, you can actually target people by city if you wanted to. It's extra work. Is it worth the extra work? That's in the numbers. The numbers tell you, yeah, well, I mean, my, my assistant will have to spend two days doing that they make $20 an hour, that's $160 it'll cost me. You know, if this adds to three more sales, you know, then I make an extra $1,000, it's worth it, you do it. And sometimes you're running that Facebook ad and you're just targeting specific things. This is people who own a condo in, you know, Hudson, New Hampshire, or this could be people who own a condo in Hudson, New Hampshire that make less than $100,000 a year. The more you get people to go, hey, that's me. And they, the more they think that can't be everybody else, the more you grab their attention. And unless you grab attention, the whole game is lost. It's not a formula, but they are the elements of all good marketing, attention, interest, desire, and action. 
you can sometimes you can throw them all into one headline. Other cases, but it all starts with attention no matter what, and it all ends with action. You know, whether you're crunching them all together or whether you're spreading them out and whether they're all well-defined or whether interest and desire are floating back and forth or not, that's, that's all up to, that can be depending on your flow and how you're writing. But it all starts with attention and it all ends with desire. And targeting the right people and making them go, hey, that's me, is so much more powerful. So, you know, and it's the hardest thing because as a writer, you need to learn to educate your clients because they're all telling you, no, this is for everything. My, my exercise routine is good for high school kids, weight loss, professional athletes, <laughs> you know, everybody under the sun. It's like, no, choose one, go after that, go after that market. When you got it nailed, when you have it automa- you know, automated, then you create one for the next one. Yeah. And that makes it a lot easier in your life because when you know who you're talking to, you can just write that copy so much easier or have somebody write the copy for you so much easier than just everything to everybody. It just, you can't write compelling copy, everything to everybody. It just does not work. Yeah. Well, this has been a, a terrific conversation. We went uh, longer than I usually do, but you know, it's just fantastic. This is like a master class here, Bon. I'm so privileged to have uh, enjoyed this time with you today. I would love if you uh, could share with our audience, where can people learn more about you and, and get more information from you? Okay, there's a few places. One is um, the Gary Halbert Copy Club. If you mention this podcast, I will automatically put you in there or have my admins automatically put you in there. And there, every once in a while, you'll get information. I don't do it often. I just started doing a little bit. of It was an experiment that went really, really well. A lot of people turned out wanted to learn some more uh, marketing techniques from me. But join the Gary Halbert Copy Club. We also run the Gary Halbert the GaryHalbertLetter.com. Don't forget the the, the GaryHalbertLetter.com. That has been the online mecca for copywriting, people learning copywriting <laughs> for decades now. And of course, I have my own site, BondHalbert.com. But, uh, you know, if you join, join any of those three and then you'll get announcements for anything, you know, anything that we're up to and things that we're doing. So, you know, I guess those are the best ways to basically get through to me or to find out what I've been up to and stuff like that. Thank you so much, Bon, for being here. I will look forward to having you back on in the future. I hope you'll join us again. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, Solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. Was that an awesome episode or what? I consider myself truly privileged to have the opportunity to interview guests like Bond for you. But if listening to a podcast is good, even better is getting live training from these genuine masters of sales, marketing, and business building. In fact, Bond just delivered nearly an hour and a half of live training for my Solopreneur Success Connections community earlier this week. Members get training sessions like that twice a month, totally free. Plus, it's interactive, which means they get to ask their questions directly to the experts. And here's the best part. If you'd like to join us, it's now 100% free to join. 
So just head over to solopreneurcoach.com and sign up for a free membership through the membership page. There's no obligation, no credit card. All you need is your name and your email, and I'll send you a free ticket to every live training session going forward. And let me be clear about something. These aren't fluffy so-called trainings where half the presentation is them trying to sell you their stuff. Every session is spent delivering the knowledge you need to grow a highly successful solopreneur business, and you get in free as a member of my community. So if you want to join us, head over to solopreneurcoach.com and ask for your free membership now. And finally, you can find all the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 029. Until next time, I'm Steve Combs, the Solopreneur Coach, and I thank you for listening.